My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome Steve Wilcock to the podcast. Steve has been CEO of the educational charity First Rung since 2021. First Rung exists to provide learning and employment opportunities to support young people in the UK to achieve success and fulfill their potential. After originally training in engineering, Steve started his career in the steel industry in the West Midlands. He moved into training and development, including with major children's charity Bernardo's, and first rung was his first CEO role. We've been working together over the last year on unlocking his natural talents and strengths as a leader. I'm looking forward to hearing from Steve's perspective about how he transitioned into the CEO chair and what he's learned about himself as a leader in his first year in role. Steve, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. I've really enjoyed working with you in the last year, and I was really keen for you to come on because we've always had this very authentic and open conversation about leadership. Um, so tell me a little bit about the journey that you went on that culminated in you becoming CEO of an educational charity. Uh, uh, yeah, like you like you say, um, I, I started out my career um, after a couple of years out uh, after university, um, I started out in the steel industry, which was which was amazing, but slightly unexpected. Um, and just got an opportunity to to do that, and um, and actually very quickly ran um, one of the uh, largest foundries, as it was uh, in in the West Midlands, which was a terrifying experience with three hundred tons of steel floating around every day. Um, but uh, then, uh, as the years went by, I uh, looked to change direction and got an opportunity with um, a construction training organisation called John Langs, uh, which uh, lots of people have heard of, uh, to uh, to get involved in training and development, which I really found was a, a really good fit for me. I really enjoyed bringing in that sort of engineering and construction side that I've got in the past um, to uh, to helping uh, young people uh, and uh, and young adults really get on that uh, those those first steps towards a career, train them to be carpenters and bricklayers and that kind of thing, and that moved on to um, you know a couple of other training organisations um, over the years. Um, I must sound like I'm about seventy five, but anyway, it's, <laughs> moving through in, in my thirties um, to a couple of other organisations where I had some brilliant opportunities to run programmes um, where. Um, you know, we supported people with disabilities. Um, we supported um, you know people who've been long-term unemployed, some refugees, some people who are homeless, uh, to get into work and um, and become self-sufficient and and really develop. Uh, and I found it was a good fit for me. I, you know, I just really enjoyed uh, the the business side of it. Uh, you know, making training organisations work. They were commercial, making them make money, um, but really helping people at the same time. It was a really it was a really nice balance that I found really rewarding. Uh, and that in turn led to uh, an opportunity with Bernardo's, which was amazing. Um, so I was Bernardo's for six years. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Worked with an amazing team and some incredible people there. Um, and, um, and we had national operation then supporting uh, young people uh, into um, into work, into apprenticeships, um, and uh, and just to get the you know get get their their lives uh, you know moving forwards um, with some specialist uh, programs for care leavers as well, which. You know, really does transform those uh, those young people's lives if they can just get uh, that independence and that uh, that first job. It's really interesting hearing you tell that little narrative of the journey you've been on because you started in engineering and it, within that a role that was around training and development and within that supporting some people where you felt real fulfilment for the work you were doing, and actually that arm of what you were doing became the core of what you were doing as you shifted into Bernardo's. So. What, what what was the drive, do you think, that, that took you from 
you know, my my primary focus is engineering to my primary focus is, is making a difference to people. Um, some of it was um, necessity, really, you know, the people, uh, you know, can reinvent themselves and have, have changed their careers, you know, it, it's, um, uh, and, uh, you know, that it, traditionally, like my, my, my parents' generation, they didn't, you, you trained to do one thing, you did it till you retired. Um, uh, but it was, you know, after doing, you know, being in the engineering environment for, for a while, I just realized that, you know, it, it wasn't going to be that, that long a career, you know, the steel industry in the UK was diminishing. Uh, the opportunities therefore would diminish. Um, I'd, I'd grown up in the West Midlands. I'd gone away. I'd come back again um, a couple of times, and um, and just felt you know I'd, uh, you know there's a there's a whole whole world out there. There's a whole country out there. I wanted to move to other other places um, and uh, and just change you know change uh, you know life really. Um, so it was very much what what is the opportunity and looked at different things. Um, and and it was the 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 opportunity that the, the crunch point with where we actually changed direction into training and development came with you know I'd run a small a business unit uh, in engineering and I I was taken on to run a small training business unit uh, in, with John Langs so they wanted business experience rather than training so I had this really great training manager but the guy um, who took me on is who's an amazing chap. But he did. I always felt he took a real flyer on me, you know, because I had zero experience in training and development. Um, and we were running government contracts. We were running contracts for the Department of Work and Pensions. And I remember those initial meetings where, you know, they clocked really quickly that I didn't know what I was talking about. But we did. We were able to to sort the business out and to, to turn that side of it around. And, and the experts in the in the training and development and the contract management, you know, helped me with everything else. So, um, you know, sometimes you just need to you know, you need to take a chance yourself, but you need somebody to take a chance on you. Um, and I just, like I say, I, I just found it really fulfilling and realised that that's where I wanted to stay. That's where I wanted to go. But, you know, look at it, look at other opportunities within that. Um, and that was very much around training and getting, you know, work. But but also, you know, there's there's a, you know, a, a broader opportunities there with welfare to work as it was then, um, you know, supporting, uh, you know, with working with Job Centre Plus and working with young people as well. You know, and that's similar to, seems to where I am now. And I mean, we have listeners to this podcast from around the world. So, paint a little picture of of what Bernardo's is that organisation you joined. Sure, um, Bernardo's is um, the oldest and the largest children's charity in the UK. Um, they they uh, traditionally ran orphanages, so people still think they do. They don't do that, um, and um, they they provide a huge number of services um, for children uh, through children's centres. Um, they're uh, one of the largest fostering adoption agencies in the UK. Um, and um, and they do a lot of work with with care leavers. They also work with parents. Um, so there's a whole whole range of programs uh, and packages of support um, that they offer. Um, and as part of that, um, they have uh, employment training and skills services. Um, so um, so they you know that those using different sort funds, uh, different sources of funding from the government, from corporate sources, um, from uh, local government, national government, Scottish government. Uh, to uh, to develop um, and support young people um, to to move forwards um, as as part of the package of, 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 of uh, as they get to you know late teens adulthood uh, it's not just about looking at the child it's how do you how do you support them to become a, a you know a self sufficient uh, all round adult as well so that's um, you know that that the organisation is over 150 years old now so it's been doing that for a very long time. And how many people work for Bernardo's? How big is the organisation? Do you know? Oh, uh, thousands. It's about 8,000 staff, I think, and 15,000 volunteers when I was there. So Yeah, sizable. So talk, talk to me about your your developing leadership as, as you progressed through the years at Bernardo's and, and, and the role that you ended up in as, as your final role there. Um, yeah, I, I was in, I was in the same role all the way all the way through um, that, but it was it was very different to operate. I, I was quite concerned when I when I joined the organisation. Um that um, that I was a bit too corporate. I'd come from commercial back, a commercial background. I'd worked for a charity for twelve months when I was twenty two. Um, you know, so that's my only charity back, charity, uh, charity background. Um, so I was quite concerned that I I, I wouldn't fit in and I wouldn't get it. Um, and in some ways, you know, it took a while to to fit into that kind of culture. But it's a very commercial organisation actually. So they're in a lot of you know government funding. So it has to be. Um, but um, during that time, I think um, initially when I, when I joined, there was the, um, you know there's there quite a few challenges. I think it's fair to say at that point. So we had quite a lot to to sort out working with the team, um, and and they were you know they were just the commitments of of that team and 
and those around us was just phenomenal and really infectious actually so i just really enjoyed you know working through that um you know developing new programs um and uh, and um hopefully uh, moving moving that department as it was um you know uh, moving it on during those those years um but uh, it did uh, it, it did allow me really to to think about um, how I led, how I managed, um, you know, I think I think during that time I was a bit overwhelmed when I joined, and uh, and I probably sort of loosened up a bit as I went through. And, um, and, and, and one person actually gave me some advice when I left. He said, you know, it took us a while to get used to you and to get to know you, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe next time when you go on to first run, just you know. Be you from the day. You know, tell everybody who you are, not be somebody else, but just be. You know, let, let people see the real you uh, earlier on. And, and I think uh, that was brilliant advice. Uh, and um, if this, per- if that person is listening, <laughs> she'll probably be chuckling at the moment. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was it was really really good advice. And hopefully, hopefully, I've done that. What did you take from that when they said that to you? Um, I, I think they were right. Actually, I think I've had an easier ride in the earlier days if if I'd uh, been. Just more open um, and 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 less uh, guarded. I'm quite a private person, um, so actually doing this podcast is quite is quite a step out of the comfort zone. So thanks for talking me into this, Gary. Um, but um, but yeah, I think um, you know I I almost saw it as a weakness to to, to reveal too much too soon, um, and and I'm quite um, you know I'm quite private in my you know personal relationships and that sort of thing. I think people don't don't need to know too much. But um, you know if you are out there a bit more and um, and and just you know show people who the real you is rather than taking you know a while for them to get to know you. I think they can you know they can you can connect more quickly and people understand you and understand why you're behaving in certain ways and what you what you need. Um, so you know we've we'll probably go on to we we, we did a, a work initially around looking at my strengths through the Clifton Strengths analysis and um, and some of them really jumped out and was like yeah that's. That's that's you know particularly around you know I need information before I make a decision I need data before I make a decision, and and, um, and if I've got that I'm fine if I haven't got that I'm at sea and I you know I I really you know get concerned so those who know me well will say just well if you want him to make a decision give him the data leave him for 24 hours and then he'll tell you what's going to happen and we'll be fine we'll move forward quickly um, you won't ponder about it but don't ask him to make a decision if you haven't given the full story. So, Throw the slide deck into the room, shut the door, lock it, switch the lights off, That's it. Uh, and off you go. Did you did you see yourself when you were at Bernardes as a future leader or not particularly? Was that not an ambition that you had? Um, I think re- uh, really because it, it, you know, I was quite um, a specialist at, at Bernardes. Um, so I, I worked you know, in, the, in, the, in the training environments, you know, so... So they, you know, people used to look at us and wonder what was in earth was going on. I'm sure at times, but you know, it, it was it was very much. Uh, I, I couldn't see where my skills would would actually fit elsewhere in the organisation, and that may not have been the case actually. But you know, there were some you know amazingly uh, specialist people in fostering adoption and you know uh, in social work, and I, I didn't have any of those skills. I had the skills to do the job in uh, in in the area I was in. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it was very much a case of where, where, although I'm really enjoying this, where do I go from here? How do I develop? Um, and one of my, um, one of my fears in life is getting stuck somewhere that I, I'm just not fulfilled anymore. Um, and, um, and, you know, I, dare I say, getting bored. Um, and that, and that's, you know, that drives me on to say, okay, I need the next project. I need the next thing. Um, I need to do this. I'm not jumping around. So I need to, you know, do chunks of of time um but but you know i don't understand people who change jobs too often because how do you ever establish yourself and really learn about you know your, what you know how you develop in that post but you know you do need to um i just got you know i, I thought well what is what is the next step from here um and um and that was that was quite a big question in my mind a couple of years ago so talk to me about what first rung is and how that role came about for you how you became chief executive um, yeah, it was. Um, uh, it's great. First Rung um, is uh, a, a charity in. Uh, we're based in North London. One in Collindale um, and one in Ponders End in Enfield, um, and um, and we uh, have uh, two teams uh, in each. So we have what I call our vocational teams, who deliver all of the vocational training, so business administration, customer service, um, accountancy, um, and all of the functional skills. That's maths and English and IT and digital skills as well to the young people. So give them the skills that they need to go out and. 
and get jobs. Um, we have, um, and then we have a centre teams who provide all of the wraparound support for those young people. So um, a lot of those young people need additional levels of support. Um, school may not have been a good place for them, may not have worked for them, um, or they may be just looking for a different way to, to, to go rather than a big college or a sixth form or a university. Um, and um, it's just a highly supportive, very positive um, environment in both of those centres with highly motivated teams of first run. People have really, you know, really do get excited about what they do really work hard to um, treat each individual learner as an individual and looking at all of the skills and all of the support they need and, and packaging that around them so that they can then um, you know develop on the program um, and then um, we work with um, a huge number of um, employers in North London um, who who just really do go the extra mile for us and, and provide work experience placements and often but very often um, those work experience placements turn into apprenticeships, which we also deliver. So we can go on that long journey through, you know, development, work experience into an apprenticeship. And then those those young people stay with that, uh, those those organisations as well uh, and develop in the future. Uh, so that's what First first Rung does. And can you bring to life, I mean, I don't know whether this is possible, but bring to life with the story of a student, that you know, a young person you've seen coming through that you feel like you've really made a difference to them? Um, well, I think personally, I haven't made a difference to them, but I think the team uh, who who do have an understanding. Uh, I know it's not you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, they do have an understanding, a great understanding of how to how to un, un, we talk about barriers quite a lot and how to overcome them. So you know, you know, it's you know, if 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 this is happening, how do we actually move that young person forward? And um, and we've had stories. Um, we, we're actually trying to capture stories because it's very difficult to explain in data, uh, although I like data, um, what, you know, in data, what, you know, what we actually do, it, it's about the individual personal stories. And, um, you know, we've had learners who've, uh, you know, come in and, and been scared to come into the building um, and then, then you know, really, really struggle to engage. We've had learners who won't come out of the toilets um, because it's just overwhelming, even though they're in a classroom with a very small number, with very small cohorts, um, in, you know, in that classroom. And we've got, you know, the, the team, the centre teams I was talking about, We'll work on a one-to-one -one basis um, with with those learners and and you know bring them out, support them, um, sit you know be with them in the classroom as as, as the teaching and development is going on. Be with them at lunchtime. You know we have a the big open areas where we play computer games and board games and that kind of thing. So literally go on the journey for all day long um, to uh, to support those young people. And then we find you know they they get they pass their first qualification they get a they get a maths qualification or they get a, a, an it qualification and um and they just you know the, the lights go on um and um and then we get them into you know work experience and maybe the first one doesn't work but maybe the second one does and um and you know you've got you know you've suddenly got a young person you know engaging on an apprenticeship where you know they literally couldn't speak to you when they walked in on the first day but they're they're in with an employer they're developing with that employer the employer thinks they're amazing so they've really got that, um, you know, that 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 journey, that trajectory. It's happening for them where they didn't believe it could, um, but you know, the the team um, absolutely believed it could, but had to go on that journey. They weren't quite sure what that journey was going to look like on day one. It's so ins inspirational to hear that, and I mean, your team is really changing people's lives. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about how you came to first run and. Um, the, what it felt like for you to sit in that CEO chair for the first time? Okay. Um, well, interestingly, like, you know, the, uh, an opportunity with another organisation arose. Um, I can't remember. If, like, I know three, four years ago. Well, well before the pandemic, and um, and I got I got um, you know shortlisted for a chief exec role with a training organisation, uh, quite a big one. And um, and I didn't get it. And um, and the feedback was, yeah, you know, you, you had a lot of the things we wanted, but. You had no chief exec experience, and, uh, and I was like, "And that's like, what we do with with learners. It's like, yeah, we want you know, you know, employers want somebody with experience, but you know, the, the catch twenty two is you um you, you need to get the job to get that experience." And I was thinking, okay, so uh, so how does anybody become a chief exec, and and is that really what I want? You know, where where do I go from here, and um uh, and what is the next step? Um and um and I've always been a bit of an opportunist, to be honest. And in terms of you know you sometimes things things do happen in life that provide opportunities, 
Um, and so I, I thought about that quite a lot. And I was like, right, I need to think this through and I need to you know, plan for this. And I probably should be reading some books around, you know, how to how to develop in that area and become a chief exec. And, um, you know, I've done it. I, I've got an MBA, so I did lots of work on strategy on that program. It's like, how do I incorporate that, you know, as, as the, the real you know front of the whole organization rather than a part of an organization? And um, and actually, to be honest, the, the, the role came up through uh, through a uh, contact who um, I'd, um, I'd, I'd known for several years. And, um, and he was, had, had actually never recruited for, uh, chief exec roles before. So he never recruited that level. I'd never been for a role like that. And, um, and, uh, and he said, are you interested in this? Because, you know, it seems exactly what you're, you're doing, um, you know, in terms of the, you know, the skills. Uh, it seems like the right job at the right time, you know, in terms of your next steps. Um, and, um, and, and it's, you know, you, you live in the right part of the country. You know, you, you, you live north of London. So, um, so I, yeah, I decided to just say yes and, and, and go and see what happens. Uh, and incidentally, all of that pre- preparation to be a chief exec, all of those programs you can go on, all those books you can read, I did none of that. I had absolutely, I was thinking about it, did none of it. And, um, and so I went to this interview thinking that, you know, probably, you know, I have no idea how this is going to happen. They have probably laugh at me. And, um, and just, you know, the, the passion that I've been talking about in terms of the teams was there at the board level as well. Um, so um, they a lot of new, um, you know, some existing trustees, which is great. A lot of new ones with loads of ideas and, and you know, really excited about the organisation. And um, and so, yeah, one, th- one thing led to another and um, and I got the role and, and, and I had to then make that crunch points decision. Like, is this right now? Because I felt very unprepared. Um, and also that, you know, we I've been working at home for a year, uh, sitting in a room, uh, you know, is it, can you, can you start a new job, uh, room, you know, in a, in a, in a pandemic? Although I knew I could go in and that was the, that was one of the key issues for me is that I can't, I'm not going to do this if I have to do it on Zoom. So, um, but because the centres have to be open because we're working with vulnerable learners, um, I could go into work. And, um, and so that's, that's what I did. So yeah, I, I decided to just go for it and uh, take a deep breath. Talk to my wife. She um she said, but you know, it, it, you know she's, she's uh, very much you you take opportunities and if they don't work out, you do something else. But you don't let the opportunity go by. And what was the moment when you decided? Yes. Um. I think uh, I think there was an element of, you know, uh, you know, if if not now, when. You know, yes, it's not ideal. Yes, I could be better prepared. Uh, yes, it, you know, the pandemic was, you know, <laughs> sort of sideswiped you know, everybody, didn't it, really? Um, and, and it probably would have been safer, easier to do it, um, you know, when things were more on the level. Um, but, um, it, you know, there was an element of, you know, I, if I'm going to do this, opportunities aren't, you know, you know opportunities aren't just going to keep coming. It could be a long wait for the next one. Um, and um, and you just you know that why not why not see it why not you know just go and go and give it a chance uh, you just have to be brave in life sometimes and do those things and I think you know looking back there have been other moments in life where I've done the same thing it's you know uh, you just I'm very you know I like data I like to think things through I like to make decisions like that like to th- you know but but also you know you, you do need to just go for it occasionally it's it's so interesting hearing you say that and i think that will resonate with so many people that when you when you set out your plan for what you thought the path should be to becoming chief executive something about reading a lot of books something about think about how you're going to incorporate strategy all that kind of stuff all great none of it wrong but in the end also none of it a requirement actually you know um and you've learned something about yourself that that there are multiple routes to that endpoint. Yeah, yeah. There was also uh, there was also a piece which we've talked about during our coaching um, was um, that I don't I don't I don't look or sound like any any other chief exec I know or I've worked for, <laughs> and um, and that all behave uh, to be honest as well. And that 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 is part of the you know the the insecurity is that you know if you're going to be good at that you need to look like that and you need to sound like that and you behave like that. Um, and um, and that took a while for me to to to, to get over. Um, I think, or maybe I'm still doing that. But um, you know, part of what was really useful and I, I really appreciated um, uh, was was very much getting that understanding of what my strengths were, 
and how that those strengths could really contribute to, to taking first rung in the direction that we you know we as a team as a board are going um and i don't have to look like anybody else but if i as long as i focus on what i'm good at rather than trying to do what maybe i'm not so good at and i think that i mean that's a brilliant segue into the subject of strengths and for people that are listening you know who who may or may not be senior leaders in an organization doesn't matter um the philosophy of strengths applies whether you're a senior executive or you're in a more junior in an organization or you're an artist or you're a sports person it doesn't matter is is it's anybody the a principle of strengths is we're just all different um and you can do this assessment if if you want to it's the gallup clifton strengths assessment and it tells you what your natural talents and strengths are but one of the core principles are is that the likelihood of you meeting somebody else with the same top five strengths as you and strengths might be to be a great communicator or to be a great analyst or to be a great diplomat or to be a great networker you know that kind of thing chance of you meeting somebody with the same top five as you is one in a quarter of a million so the chance of you being in the room with somebody else who's substantially similar to you is just really low but society teaches us that the people ahead of us are people that we should aspire to be like so people think of a manager they've had in the past, a chief executive they've had in the past, a chair that's chaired the board in the past, or you know, just somebody in life that they've that's inspired them or they've looked up to, and they start to go, well, I so I need to be like that to be successful or influential or all those kinds of things. I'm constantly surprised now as 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 a coach working with senior leaders in all different industries in all different countries, how common it is that it's a revelation to people to say, you don't have to be like those other people. You know, for sure, draw inspiration from them. Remember what they said, lessons they've learned, all those kinds of things. But you're you. And in your unlock moment, is this moment of you discovering what your strengths were and starting to process what that meant for you as a leader? So talk to me a little bit about what your strengths showed up for you and how that made you feel. Yeah, um, because it was it was very much like, 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 as you said, the identifying the strengths, but also identifying that, that that you know I, those strengths could be different from other people who do, who could be very good in the role as well but it doesn't mean that I won't be you know it, but it, it's it's using those so yeah the, the one that was like one that made me chuckle was that number one my number one strength was being a learner which considering how many years I've been in training development now it shouldn't really come as a come as a surprise but it, it did slightly but you know it, it, you know it is i do love to gain new skills i really enjoy um and and it actually in the last few years i've really enjoyed doing things because you can get into a habit of doing stuff you really you're good at because you you're good at it you know and other people can see you're good at it doing something you're rubbish at um so i took up swimming you know and um because I, I really love running but i knew i wasn't going to be able to do it forever um so i took up swimming and I'm, i was terrible and um, but bit by bit and learning and learning from other people and and lots of YouTube videos and that kind of stuff. Some really good coaches on YouTube, you know. Just just that was it was really initially humbling and then actually really rewarding because you, you you learn exponentially when you're coming from a really low baseline. So that that was a real um, you know a, a, that was great to just see that on paper. Um, we talked about data. I am you know one of mine is my strengths is being analytical uh, and needing to research and get. Get everything on the table in front of me and really understanding it and really getting behind the facts and um and my team will will be telling you that as well you know that, that you know we've got it um you know data is really important in the organization to actually look at stuff and uh, you know we want to then say well let's let's dig into that a bit more and let's understand that a bit better um but also that i can you know just then you know take that and make a decision and run with it you know so that 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 balance um you know i i, I think was quite good to see um but I'm, one of them was, a, you know, I was, I'm a relater. Um, so I work quite hard on relationships and I individualize relationships. And, and I do that, you know, in work. I do that, um, you know, with my kids. Um, and, I, and I do that with friends. It, it, it's everyone's, you know, I don't have, you know, just a couple of toolboxes and treat everybody, this, a couple of tools in my toolbox and treat everybody the same. So that's, that jumped out. And, and I was, it, what did um, come out was I, I, um, in the strengths was around, I, I I do relate, but I invest in quite a small number. I go for quality rather than quantity, um, and I really recognise that in myself. 
um you know it, it has, you know I, I just really appreciate the you know friends who are the inner circle who who who, who get me who understand me um and um and, and there's that having that that safe space to bounce around you know challenges with a bit of you know personal work uh, and that kind of thing so and then seeing all of those things together and I was like oh yeah that is me but it also it also felt like that's that's okay you know sometimes I think some of these things are maybe I take too long to make a decision or maybe do I really need that much data or you know maybe I should be a bit broader with relationships and that kind of thing and I thought actually no because that's not me and and that's you know that was quite a, a switch uh, an unlock moment as well for me uh, and uh, and it just takes it simplifies things it takes things away you can just sort of understand and focus um, and and just then just move forward more quickly so it, I found that really helpful and what's interesting for me I mean I, I I get the privilege of seeing you because we're on video but it's an mm. audio only podcast so the people listening can't see you so I'm going to tell them that I can observe you lighting up when you're talking about these things that are your natural talents and strengths and it's a really important principle of this way of thinking these are not things that you're necessarily highly skilled in like your story of swimming mm. the learning is progressing your knowledge or your skill over time and it's not something that you you do because you're um you're you have a high uh, level of achievement at it it's that you find it easy to do you find it enjoyable to do you get a lot of satisfaction out of doing it so when you're talking about for example, being with data, you happen also to be highly skilled because you've been doing it for many years, but you love doing it. You love getting the data. There's a lot of other people who are highly skilled with data because they've been doing it all through their career and they still hate it, <laughs> but they've learned to do it. Yeah. And that's a really important principle. And you're thinking about if you create a future that is something that you really love what you're doing, it's about aligning what you do with the things that you find are your natural talents and strengths um, and I when I'm working with people on their strengths you often find things that people were surprised to see there because they don't do them every day so it'll be something where they say it's interesting if I did do that I think I really love it but I just don't so it helps you also to think about how you're going to work to enjoy your work the most or to be most effective at, at what you do was there anything that showed up in your strengths that was a surprise to you you didn't expect to see that. Um, I think um, I suppose in some ways because self self assurance was in my top ten, and um, and I suppose in some ways you do part of taking yourself out of your comfort zone um, means that you 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 know you don't feel as secure if you if you if you if you do what you you know you're really really good at and and you don't take any risks i'm not a huge risk taker but i do take risks um you know it, you you know you do you don't feel as self-assured in that situation when you walk in you're thinking can i do this you know and um and so that was that as a as a strength came as a bit of a surprise um but um but yeah apart from that no i thought i i thought it you know it was it was quite well very accurate actually so to make a decision you gather the data and analyze the data. That's your analytical coming through. You probably talk to people around you that you know very well, which is your relator coming into play. You may be reflecting on things that you've learned over the years of doing things differently and didn't work out or did work out, and that's that's comes from your learner. And you make a decision. And at that point, when you've made a decision based on conversations, based on data, based on learnings, how comfortable do you feel? Um, usually very actually, but not that I, I'm not, and I'm always sure that it's the right decision, but when you get to that decision, um, it, you know, you, you do, if you continually flounder around and then make a decision and then change it the next day and that kind of thing, you, you end up going around in circles and, and, and it's, it's quite a stressful place to be. Whereas if you make a decision, um, and a lot of this is, you know, actually, um, I, you know, is, is I've learned um, from uh, from my wife actually, who's been you know she's extremely focused, um, and um, and she's going to smirk when she listens to this. Um, but but she's she's always like, let's just do it because what's the worst that can happen? And, and and there have been times when I was like, there's actually quite a lot that could go really wrong with this, you know. So but but it is actually really helpful when you've got somebody alongside you saying, what's the worst that can happen? You go, yeah, you're right, and and do it. 
and the listener here will will have tuned into what you just said so so you said you think carefully about making your decisions using data learning talking to people at the point you make that decision you feel comfortable to move forward without um without wobbling too much because and that's that self-assurance that's what self-assurance sounds like it sounds like an inner compass that once you've decided you you go your number three strength is deliberative where you think about deliberative is being a bit like a lawyer or a risk manager it's always thinking about if there are 50 boxes we've got to tick before we can move forward we better tick all the boxes so the bit where your wife says let's just do it what's the worst that can happen it's the deliberative in you that's going i can think of a really long list of the worst things that can happen because that's you know that's your sort of health and safety mindset so so you know you can hear and this is what happens with people when they tune into their strengths you can hear it all coming through and it if if you can if you can play it in a really powerful way it can be so effective it can be you at your absolute best but also these top strengths because they are you all the time in a really big way can trip you up too so you know self-assurance played at the wrong time when you need sometimes to be a bit more you know mindful of risk or you know wanting data when there's time pressure and you just need to move you know you've got to learn and i know you've you've you know uh, developed this you know over time as well you've got to learn how and when to play these strengths it's not just a question of 100 miles an hour all the time straight into your strengths so are there situations you know as you've emerged into you know into your ceo role where you've you've changed the way you've led or you've developed as a leader do you think um yeah i think um i i I did um i did really take on board um the you know just being a little bit more open at, at the beginning um and um and and that was quite refreshing, actually, because it's you know I was also less worried about people you know warm to me or not. It's like, well, you know, this is it, really. We're just going to go for it. So, um, but but I think um, I think we move faster as a result, um, and and you know pull together as a team faster um, because of that, um, both at, you know uh, within the organisation and at board level. Um, but I think um, also um, just. Some of what you've said there, actually, in terms of I haven't, there, there were systems and processes that just weren't there. We've had to build a lot, um, you know, build a, a data team uh, and that kind of thing. And and so we have had to make decisions where we didn't, I didn't have as much data as I wanted. Um, and um, and then, you know, the, there have been some nasty surprises um, as well. You know, it's been a very turbulent time with the pandemic and that kind of thing. So we've had to change direction and focus on different things. And um, and so, whereas I'd like to have a plan that's you know based on data and A B C D, we'll do it in that order. But this time, you know, we've had to continually change direction and and mould around that, whilst hopefully still moving the the organisation in the direction we decided to take it in. Uh, you know, over a year ago when we when we you know finished writing the strategy. So, you know, it, 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 there's there's an element of flex. Um, it's felt you know uncomfortable at times um, to to actually move when you haven't got all that data, um, but um, but as a result you know it, it's we we haven't stood still uh, we were able to do that, um, but but yeah it's, it, people do look to you and you know there's you know there's that you just that you have to you have to call it and you have to then act in the, in the time frame like you said, not necessarily with uh, and that doesn't necessarily give you all of the the uh, the elements that you need. Something that's very interesting about strengths is that there are the the three least common strengths, if you look at the population, are command, which is a natural talent for leading, um, uh, self-assurance, which is the sense of confidence and in a compass about the path ahead, and significance, which is being in any way in the spotlight. So averagely in a large room of people, you're going to have a lot of people that don't feel comfortable with leading, that that are looking to other people for confidence and clarity ahead um, and that don't want to step forward into a spotlight. So I always talk to people that have, you know, high self-assurance, high command, high significance about the fact that compared with other strengths, to have those high is 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 quite unusual, more unusual in the population. And what that means is not only that you're thinking about how to use it to its best effect, but also everyone else in the room is looking to you to provide that 
because it's not there for them. It's not something that they're naturally comfortable at doing or talented at doing. Um, and in an organization in a leadership role, and what you said there is, is very common for CEOs to say something along the lines of, this is the first role where it wasn't possible for me to know everything that was going on. And I need to find comfort with that. Because, you know, if your reaction to not knowing everything that's going on is to try and know everything that's going on, you become the bottleneck in the organization. Talk to me about, you've talked before about this idea of an hourglass, that sometimes you can feel like you're in the middle of the hourglass and there's a lot above you and there's a lot below you and you're stuck in the middle. Yeah, um, because we're looking at, you know, my perception of this chief exec role um, was, you know, I've been in organizations where you have, um, you know, you have one line manager uh, and there are, there could be other people on the board or that kind of thing, but you have, you have one line manager. So when you're, you're just relating, you, you manage um, upwardly to one person and then down to your team. So, um, so that could be like five or six people. So five or six, you know, managing, managing with the team and then one up. And, and I had this, this picture saying, you know, with, you know, that it was like a, that plus quite a huge amount of responsibility to manage a board. Um, so they, they could be 12 people on the board um, and then the team as well. And there's there's the chief exec in the middle. And that's how I thought it, to be honest, I thought it was. Um, and um, and I thought that that's hugely challenging, actually. And that's that's hugely difficult. And I think, you know, that that was, um, you know, part of, um, you know, Bernardo's looking at looking at being part of a, you know, in charitable sector that, you know, that that's that's how it can feel, you know, that's you're in that middle bit. Um, and it's like, can I can I actually do that? Do I have the capacity to to do that? And um, and it was really helpful uh, to to go through that process because I think that was that added quite a lot of the pressure in in the early days at first rung. Um, now I say the early days, we're only about well, 15, 16 months in, but um, still the early days. But um, but but actually, the discussion we had um, around that it, it was was really helpful, and that clarity that you brought to the to the coaching around um you know there's there's the chief exec and there's the chair you manage the organization and lead the organization forward uh, you're responsible for the strategy you're the custodian of the strategy the chair manages the board and um and that was uh, a bit that was it was extremely direct and extremely helpful i know you've got a, you know, a huge amount of experience in charitable sector as well as well as the commercial sector and um and, and that was really helpful because you know my trustees um contribute so much and we work with them on projects and that's all fine to you know to work alongside them on the, on the on the projects but but yeah it's not my responsibility to manage the board and that took a lot of pressure off actually it's very interesting it's something very particular to the charitable sector that trustees are unpaid almost almost exclusively um and therefore they're there precisely because they want to help that's the reason that that they're there um and so they want to help and so and they don't know what the other 15 trustees are, are doing so so you know it's it's quite easy and i'm a a, a a trustee of a charitable organization myself and and i know this sort of sense inside you that that you want to give that's what that's why you're there and actually for the poor chief executive in the middle who's trying to you know give a clear direction and a clear steer and the team should be looking to them and then you know if you do start to have sort of emails firing in from random people going hey i just thought of a new idea why don't we do that and people start responding to it because well that's quite important it's come from one of the trustees so you know you can lose control very quickly so your partnership with with the chair as chief executive was became really critical and that that that's you know that but that clarity has helped actually make that really quite you know um, effective so that that really worked Another theme, I mean, I talked to a lot of people about, um, and I learned this from from working with some uh, really effective chief executives myself, one of the things that made them so effective was their ability and clarity around managing up. So it again, it is, it's common to see chief executives who feel a little bit under the cosh from board, board members, chair, and so on. Um, and, you know, as the chief executive gains experience and confidence and authority, you see more that they push back and say, you know, we'll do the things that really matter. But here's a load of things that, you, you, you know, you might have thrown in that were nice ideas or you're trying to be helpful, but you didn't understand the wider ramifications. I do because I'm running the show and actually getting that balance right of, of accepting the support and also challenge, but then pushing back and saying it makes it impossible for us to, to, 
to run the organization in this way that's that's an important thing as well isn't it as, as a chief executive that, that you remain in charge of the whole yeah and I, i'm really fortunate because the board you know my board really understand that as well you know we, you know it's like we you know we know what we need to you know which areas do we really need to focus on where do we really need to bring value um, and, and there are some, some, you know, several areas that they, you know, they, they really can, and we've really engaged those skills and, and that enthusiasm. Um, but it is, you know, they're, they're, we're in a situation now as I gain that, um, it, it, yeah, that's a nice idea, but it's not now, you know, it, but it could be, it could be down the track, but it's, it now isn't the moment. So if you were talking to somebody who is, uh, you know, former executive or current executive, who's thinking about taking up their first charitable trusteeship they've never been on a board before um and you were going to say to them you know these are some of the behaviors or characteristics that will make you effective and and, and not problematic what what are those kind of characteristics of a trustee that really help you uh, in the organization um i think uh just bringing uh, having a, 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 a diversity um of skills uh, and and expertise it's like because where where i find it really works is is where i've got somewhere to go um for um you know it's to have a, like a a board of consultants i can i can call on who will then get engaged so so they'll they'll bring that skill base um and uh, to to a challenge we're facing or an area we want to a direction of travel that we want to go in um and um and really just embrace it and and they're extremely busy uh, and that's you know that that works. They they can come and do a, a piece of work uh, and advise, and then and then just review what we're doing and stay in touch as well. So if they can come in for a while, maybe and then step back while we get on and do it, that that has been really um, really helpful. So I think it's very much you know get heavily involved in 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 uh, saying what you need from a board and then recruiting against that. So you know, actually we need we need people you know experts in IT, experts in HR, you know experts in fundraising or, or whatever those things are. Um, so that you can see them as a, you know, a, a partnership, but are also, you know, a, people to come in and really help and really get alongside and engage with the team when you get, you know, when you get that trustees and, and the, the, the team on, on site delivering together. Now we can um, post pandemic, you know, that's um, that can be dynamite as well. But you also need to be quite honest about what you need and what you don't need. Hmm. Um, um, what is it about the team around you and the executive team? That has enabled you to be most effective as chief executive. Do you think? Um, I think I think it's just enthusiasm. To be honest, I really there are days you know, everyone says, "Oh, chief executive roles can be very lonely," and I, I'm not sure. Really, they, it, it can be at times, but you know, um, having having you know just people around you who are very enthusiastic uh, and really passionate about the organisation and and really supportive and it'll tap you on the shoulder and go how's it really going you know and that kind of thing just is is really useful and what what can we do to help is is a question that comes up a lot and and just being honest about you know what that what that looks like um i think as well just in terms of you know any, anybody considering a chief exec role is um uh, you know do uh, you do get some people around you externally i found your coaching go really helpful um, but also talking to, um, you know, having, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of other chief execs I've, I've linked up with um, and we meet, uh, you know, we, we meet up for breakfast, we meet up for coffee occasionally, um, but just having that really safe space for somebody who doesn't really understand your organisation, but does understand the role um, is, is you know, hugely beneficial. And, um, and and it is, you end up, you know, you just talk about the challenges and, yeah, and, 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 and uh, you know, can give you advice. Um, and uh, and also you can be there at crisis point, um, you know, when when it's really not working for them, um, and uh, and they've got somewhere to go outside of their organisation, and, and that's you know away from their board and their team, etc. It's a safe place, and that's you do need that. You really do need that. The strengths uh, strengths coach that I've worked closely with called Dana Williams, who did one of the early episodes, the Unlock Moment. If you listen to that episode, she talks about um, the value of a personal advisory board. And how you pick the people to be on your personal advisory board, and I thought that was very helpful to the way it's constructed. Her former role was as marketing director of Southwest Airlines in the U U.S., so she's again got that mix of sort of corporate, real life corporate experience, and also coaching experience. Um, and then I did another interview with uh, another coach that I work closely with called Dolly Waddell, whose advisory board is her children aged between five and thirteen. And she's actually contracted them. So there are real contracts they've actually signed and they have board meetings and they talk about topics and then they give their advice. So 
it, it, it can it can happen in many many different ways um, good. i might try that actually that's a good tip <laughs> yeah you listen to dolly's episode it's, it's, it's yeah. hilarious the way she tells the story um so where can people find more uh, find out more about the work that first rung is doing and what support or help you know do you need from people if people are listening to this and thinking you know they'd like to support what you're doing uh, yeah the um obviously our, our website um so it's um firstrung.org.uk um but also um our follow us on social media particularly linkedin we're, we're quite active on um because the 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 area we really do need um support with as we grow um is that we have more young people coming in um but we need more of those employer partners that i was talking about so it's um uh, it, it isn't an act of charity let me tell you um, because you know, if, if an organisation is uh, at the moment, there's a, a lot of organisations in London recruiting and looking for new talent, um, and um, and the young people that come through, um, are, like I say, that most of them stay on with those employers. Those like work experience apprenticeships stay on with the employer um, because um, you know they contribute so much, they commit so much, and they're seeing the opportunity um, that um, that that employer is providing. So if uh, if you are recruiting in North London um, and uh, and you're looking for um, some raw talent, but who's uh, comes with a huge support package from a good charity like First Run. Um, I'd very much like to hear from you, and um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Amazing. And what are the kinds of organisations that have been really successful for you in taking on you know people coming through the First Run programs? Um, huge variety, actually. Um, so um, we do um, we do a lot of work with young people around accountancy, uh, doing AAT qualifications up to uh, you know level two and three. Uh, business administration, customer service. Um, we uh, we train teaching assistants for schools, um, and uh, and we deliver childcare as well for nurseries. So it's, it's quite a range there. Um, but also with you know maths, English, and uh, and IT, those skills can be uh, transferable into a, a range of different um, industries. Uh, and we are developing on the hospitality side as well because there are so many hotels, restaurants, um, you know, in, in London that are, are really um, up against it for staffing at the moment, and we can help there as well. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Charitable Sector CEO Steve Wilcock, it was discovering his natural talents and strengths that helped him to define his own unique leadership style and bring his best self to work every day. In turn, this enabled those around him to work more effectively as a team for the benefit of the young people they help. The work they do for young people is so important and I'm looking forward to seeing First Rung continue to grow from strength to strength over the coming months and years. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thanks, Gary. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotas. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook, and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Join me again soon.